This is Pam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air for the first time with Maria Maxe. Uh, thank you for being on the Pham Electric Ghost podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. I'm grateful to be here and excited to have a conversation with you. Well, I'll let people know that we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You see the icon up there says listen on Newsly. And for those uh, who are listening or watching, if they use coupon code GHOST, they can get one month free per, uh, subscription on that audio-only platform. We are a featured podcast. We'll be on there later tonight on Newsly. And we also want to let people know that um, this is actually episode 1011 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast, tracking that on Apple Podcasts since 2016. And we also, for those of you who are just listening, we do have your website URL, uh, and that's uh, mariamaxay.com and forward slash podcast dash gift dash breakthrough dash sessions. Uh, and that will be fully clickable when we're published. And so that's this, uh, you know, we always encourage people who listen to check out the URL to get a deeper dive. And then today, like the topic we wanted to talk about is why what women self-abandon and how to reclaim their natural radiance. So again, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel like it's really fitting that this is episode 1011 for you because 11 is my favorite number. <laughs> so feels like perfect alignment. <laughs> it's always fun. Um, you know, I've just been doing this for a while, but it's just, it's just an interesting process. I feel like it's a master class, a thousand hours worth of talking to people who know things that I don't know or, or mm -hmm. experts in their area. And, and, and I want to probably start with uh, some of the questions that I think you sent me some additional questions that I could ask you. And one of them is what do you mean by self-abandonment? And maybe you can kind of define that for the folks in the audience, maybe, or you can start with an introduction and kind of give a background to yourself and then address that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe an introduction, like a small one is helpful. So I have a background in dance as a performer and choreographer and shifted into yoga later on and got very interested in the body-mind connection through eating psychology coaching and also somatic work. And so what I do now is I work with women who are looking to bridge that body-mind gap, whether that's to create greater confidence, to create clarity, to have more harmony in their relationships, to go after career change, or to even create their careers. So what I've looked at and what I've seen quite a bit, and this is part of my own journey as well, so it comes from an informed place, and with the women I work with, this is aspect of self-abandonment. And what I mean by that is the tendency to forget about ourselves or to remove ourselves from our own expression, our own authenticity, our own desire. And so what I mean by self-abandonment is like when we've left the truth of ourselves behind, what we actually want, what we need, our dreams, our desires for the sake of, maybe we'll get into this, um, in a little bit for the sake of anything like fill in the blank, whatever that value is for someone that they perceive they're going to get by putting themselves second or last. Right. And this often mm -hmm. develops at a younger age. Was well, that kind of like the people pleaser syndrome or the, yeah, it can show up that like, way. Yeah. As a selfless, they think they, and they always, they're always 
not doing what they want to do, always doing what the other wants to do because they feel that's going to endear themselves to the other or, or give them satisfaction in that way rather than their own goals. Right. And it's actually seen as something really noble, I think, for, in, for, in a lot of people, right? Like identified as something pretty noble. It's like you said the word selfless. And there's been a lot of judgment on selfishness as if it's a negative thing when really if we look at selfishness, it's like to be full of yourself, meaning your cup is so full of who you are that you're not trying to get anything from anyone to be who you are, right? And then you're just adding. So there's this concept of like, we're either givers or takers. And it's hard to be a giver when you're not full of yourself, when you don't know yourself, when you're not taking care of yourself. So, you know, I talk about, uh, with self-abandonment, it can look like, and I just speak from the perspective of the feminine, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what I know in my lived experience. And I'm sure you have amazing value to add to this conversation too, from the other perspective. And there's many others. So to bring what in, what I was going to say in is this good girl conditioning can actually show up in self-abandonment. Also like good boy, right? Like just be the good girl, which looks like I'm just going to make sure everyone else is happy. And then like, I'm keeping the peace and I'm not ruffling any feathers and then everything will be fine. Well, what happens in that process is everyone else might be fine, but you're not fine. And then eventually there's a huge rub, whether that's within one's like psyche, right? Mind, body, soul connection, whether that's within their health, whether that's just within general satisfaction, which inevitably is going to bleed into relationships at some point. It's inevitable. Yeah. I think what happens, they being a creator, you know, being, I'm a songwriter, producer, I'm a software designer. I'm a creative. And what I find is a lot of people, uh, they feel like, oh, if you're arrogant to think that you can do your own work, because there's a canon in poetry, there's a canon in music, there's a canon in painting, and I've talked to tons of creators, and there's always this, like, well, this, uh, this uh, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. even among artists I work with, that they have tons of work that they won't show anybody because they don't think it's good enough. And even though they're in the field, they still don't believe a lot of it is good. And when they, when I try to push them as a producer, I find, show me the song you're the scared, most scared to, or afraid to show anybody. And it's hard to get that because a lot of times they want to please me or they want to show they can do something that somebody else already did. And I said, well, they already did that. I, yeah. I want to hear what you're doing. <laughs> and so a lot of times it's like, there's this thing where you don't feel you're good enough. You're, you're self-sabotage. You have all this work. You won't show anybody. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you want to please everybody by just doing what they, what they want rather than what, what is it that you want to do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful that you invite people into that. I, I highly respect that. And like, what a call forward. And, you know, I read something recently around like imposter syndrome really generally shows up just before we're going to have the opportunity to get good at that thing. And we've all, we've been an imposter at some other point. And then all of a sudden we were, and now we're some, we're feeling that somewhere else. But in general, I was reading too, that it comes up a lot in high performers. So people who have a natural tendency to be quite high achieving and that, and that breaking that seal of like being like a meta performer versus a high performer is like that seal between being really interested in what we're capable of versus like how people are going to perceive us, which I I still navigate this. You know, I, I notice the tendencies in me too, that are like the imposter syndrome shows up or 
small moments of self-sabotage. And I think it's very human. It's more so about being able to hold it. And to your point, which even reflects back to self-abandonment, I think people are really concerned with how people are going to perceive them. Maybe not because we, we might not consciously care what someone thinks of us. Sometimes we do, but underneath that is the underlying need to belong and to feel safe and secure within community, right? Which goes back to like, it's ancestral. It is so far woven back in like our primal body because our body still remembers that we need each other to survive. The difference is nowadays we can actually be just fine without without that network yeah. on a survival basis. It's it's really important to have community for our mental emotional well-being, but the survival instinct is not actually true anymore, though it can feel very true and that can be the thing that's underlying whether someone stands up for themselves uses their voice, taps into their desire, pursues their creativity, shares their art or not. Cause underneath it's like, I want to make sure I'm loved and I belong. Well, the wolf at the door, you know, is like, you know, is the words that you get from the critic or you get from your audience when you try to go outside the box. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times, like, is there always, you get put in a frame you could be at a 90 year old kid in your biggest song, get millions of views. That's what people perceive you to be. And then if you try to get out of that box, because people don't know that you actually can do multiple genres and that happened to be the one they liked. And then you don't necessarily want to stay there, but you're too scared to move out of that box because now you're kind of labeled as that. And that's always like the artist problem. And once in a while you get guys like, you know, you get people like Lady Gaga, you get David Bowie, you get Prince that would redefine themselves every album. We we come come up with a totally new stage persona, every album. And it was like, oh, I I like Purple Rain or I like 1999, but then they went to something else. Yeah. But we went from Ziggy to Lad Insane to Thin White Duke, he kept on changing. And it's hard to do that because the the machine wants you to stay in something that's repeatable. Mm -hmm. they, They just want you to repeat what you've already done. And to push that, is is kind of against the grain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from like, we live in a society that's very comfortable with identities and labels and like certainty. We definitely want certainty and we want to know who we are and who someone else is. And we're more comfortable if things don't change. And yet the irony is like comfort also starts to feel stagnant and within stagnation is dullness, but we also want aliveness, right? So it's like aliveness and growth is inherently going to be a little uncomfortable. Um, And so we kind of get caught between these polarities of, I want comfort and familiarity, but the minute I have too much of it, I don't like it. And I want the other thing, but too much growth. And so that dance. And so that's where I think like, you know, really getting to know ourselves is so important and getting to be what I'll call self-resourced, which is the ability to care for ourselves. So even if we put something out that someone is like slandering or someone just doesn't get it because we changed our mind and changed sort of like our identity and the way we're showing up, even if that happens, if there's a lot of rebuttal around it, we can be like, wow, I'm feeling all the feels around this and I got myself. But if I don't got myself, then I'm going to look, then I'm going to stay where I'm safer, where I'm going to stay where, you know, like, people accept me and people put me and, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's not always an easy, not always an easy dance to, 
to be there. It's like that codependency. It's like it is comfortable to stay in your codependency. It's yeah. fearful to go out of it. So you could be yeah. stuck in a bad relationship. You could be a bad relationship with your parents, with your with your your loved one, with your friends, and you stay in that environment. You could be getting bullied. You could be getting abused. But like that's what you know. And yeah. even though it's like well, it's hard to perceive, well, how could you be comfortable with that? Well, the fear of actually trying to do get out of that box until you reach that crucible moment, it's not driving you enough to to make you get out of it. You know, you totally. you, you haven't hit the you haven't hit that 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 wall that says, Well, why am I doing that? Well, now it doesn't work. And so only like people don't you don't know when somebody's gonna hit that level where well, it doesn't work anymore. And then yeah. suddenly they have to try it. And the fear is reduced and the wolf's not at the door as much as they can try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you speak to is that window of tolerance, right? Like we're, we're as humans, we're very much still programmed to avoid pain, seek pleasure, but usually just avoid pain until the pain isn't too much. Like it's okay. It's just kind of like a jabbing versus like force. And, and I think that the challenge becomes getting to know ourselves and like what we really want and asking those questions, which for some is like, even having the time and space to ask oneself that question could require more resources than, you know, is accessible, let's say, or just more space than is accessible based on life. Right. And so the ability to start to shift, okay, if I'm not creating a life out of avoiding pain, right? Which is still going to be a natural mechanism. What am I looking towards? What am I looking towards? What do I believe in? What can I conceive for myself? What can I imagine? And start to actually use the faculties of our imagination to conjure up like, wow, this could be possible for me. And then look for evidence outside of ourselves that this is possible. Because if someone else is living it, it's possible for us too, right? But we got to be able to have the courage so I think courage is a piece that you, that we're even sort of like touching on courage to try something new, courage to move towards the fear and walk through the door of fear. Uh, and I love this acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. <laughs> so often we walk through that door and we're like, oh, I'm not dead. And to your point of like something that feels codependent, whether it's a job or a relationship, it's like those moments of creating greater independence can feel like uh-oh, uh-oh, like, is this going to be okay? And then little by little, as long as we're willing to move through the fear, we can actually create a lot of freedom. And that doesn't necessarily mean that anything needs to end. It's just about being willing to change it, having the yeah. courage to transmute. Well, a lot of times, like musicians I've run into, we get into this perfection mode. Mm -hmm. where like Everything's got to be totally perfect. And a lot of times it's been addressed by some great artists, like Victor Wooden, a famous bass player was given a masterclass showing people like there's no bad note. And he actually went through multiple skills showing uh, uh, basically a rhythmic pattern that he just transposed to multiple scales. And said, like, you could say, this is the bad note, but if I'm feeling it and I don't react and you don't see me act like it's a bad note, then it's not a bad note. So if you live in that present moment, you can actually, because if you're just always living for the next note and if you, then you're thinking you're going to miss it. You're not living in that moment and you're not actually enjoying it. You're, you're, you're having so much anxiety about it. You're probably going to hit the, the perceived wrong note. 
So the idea is to like live in the present and trust yourself and also understand that happy accidents and what we call in music are opportunities mm -hmm. to actually take that piece to another level rather than trying to constrain it. You kind of take that muse and don't ignore it. Actually, you know, learn how to respond to it. And you can use that kind of methodology or mindset in everyday life, you know, like riffing as a public speaker rather than staying on point everything that you wrote down or yeah. being able to express yourself in a moment as an actor, like in the method acting and like enveloping in the role and not exactly having the dialogue, but understanding that role enough to be able to actually be that person. Yeah. It's amazing what you're saying. I love that. And I'm, I'm really, um, sourcing from my dance background and choreography and improv background. Cause it's the same thing, right? Like when I was, so, you know, years ago when I was choreographing much more, um, those moments where something happens, that's a mistake was like, ah, oh, this is like an opportunity was just born. And this is amazing. Like now this is part of the piece. And so within like the notes that you're talking about, like, I can't discover that if I'm thinking ahead to the next, you know, the next section of this dance, if I'm in it and we're in this moment and we're perceiving everything that's happening, taking it in, drinking it in, then we can catch that and expand upon it and realize something new. And to your point, I think that that's so true for life too, right? Like if I'm, if I'm always a year ahead or five years ahead, then like I miss what's happening now. And what we're after is, is being here now after all. Right. So it's kind of like yeah. another irony thing that we humans do. We're like trying to, I do this too. Like I think ahead and then I get myself out and it's like, okay, wait, let me come back to the moment. And, um, with the thing of mistakes, I think I was much better at realizing that when I was dancing much more and like improv dance was something that was so fun and you just can't be anywhere else, but the moment you just can't, how do you improv? <laughs> And be five minutes ahead. You can't, you got to be here yeah. now. So even different than like rehearsing a move. Right. And so that can be such a great translation to life. Like if we do something the same way all the time, for example, drive the same way to work or walk the same way to the car, do it differently, break it up, like aliven yourself, get present to now versus like, this is the way I do it. Do something different. Spice it up. <laughs> Even like your expectations and your relationship. Like if you're st stuck in a pattern mm -hmm. and you you're, and you expect your partner to, you're like anticipating what they're going to say, anticipating what they're going to feel instead of actually listening to what they, how they feel right now. And, relationships and are it, a huge does, mirror. Yeah. And if you just, you're putting your partner into this, like, uh, I know this is perceived partner is like your, your, um, soulmate it should behave a certain way because that's your expectation rather than accepting how they're actually behaving and thinking that you know something's going to change in the future or like it's the kind of that's victor Oden moment like why not live in the present and listen to what they're actually saying instead of anticipating what they're going to say or anticipating what they're going to do actually deal with the way they are well yeah. i think a lot of people don't don't want to do that because they this well they have these expectations and they they want to meet, meet those expectations or they don't meet the expectations and it causes the conflict. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to like, that there's some part of us that does that because it wants familiarity because that feels safe and like the unknown is unknown and uncertain. And yet there's so much possibility in the unknown 
and there's so much potential for connection. So I love that example. Like if I'm holding a perception of how my partner's going to react to this thing that I say, then I might already be like, let's just say I'm imagining it's negative. I'm going to be in a defense. And the minute he says something, I'm going to like, yeah, I'm going to be defensive. And it's like, we set the trap ourselves, but we don't realize it. So like, you know, it's so crucial what you're saying. Cause it's really like, let me listen with my ears, but also with my body and with my heart and lean in with curiosity. That's something that I found is super yeah. incredible because we all, we all think that we mean the same things with the words that we say, but like the <laughs> fundamental point of successful communicators is that they understand that we all have different labels for different things. Right. So when one person says one thing, if I perceive that as like meaning something specific or something that's triggering to me. And I don't ask, what do you mean by X? We might be having a dialogue. We can't communicate. So that's super amazing. Well, a lot of times as a songwriter, I mean, as a songwriter, poet, I purposely create situations like the famous, like uh, writing example is baby shoes uh, never worn. So that kind of is a very, uh, you know, like it leads you to interpretation. Or if mm. you think about the Victorian poets, the concept of little death, it's like what does that mean? Well, it actually means like sexuality. It's like it's like create mm. the creation moment of sexuality. But they didn't say it that way. They said little death. So you got to like, what does that mean? You got to unpack it. So a lot of times as a songwriter, we purposely make things kind of gray because we're telling stories. And we purposely want to leave room for our audience to kind of own it. Like I put it out there, but the audience owns it and then they can take it and then they can, I had an original idea, but I might've wrote it in such a way that like, is it really about me? But is it really about the macrocosm? It's about like a common human feeling. It's not just my feeling. It's not my personal situation that happened. I could have actually wrote it like a fictional story. Mm, and mm -hmm. It really isn't me. It's somebody else I knew and I write about and you assume it's me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I think that if, what if we, I just had this thought as you were talking, what if we interacted with each other as like poetry? Like if I looked at, you know, the person I'm in front of and just got curious and introspective and like, I'm interested, I'm curious. It's like your poetry, your, your own expression of a human, how interesting and fascinating. And, and I think that we're only able to do that when we're doing it with ourselves, when we can be interested in ourselves, which kind of goes back to that selfishness, which is like, it's really just to know ourselves and to be able to care for ourselves. And then there's so much less projection onto other people when, when we can do that, because there's a sense of responsibility, being able to respond to the moment, being able to respond to the situation, claiming our part, which, um, we don't get a lot of examples of in media of people claiming their part, yeah. being response able, being empowered. We get a lot of examples of victimhood and, you know, self-pity and how it's someone else and blame. And I think yeah. that um, while that may be more known, it, it doesn't seem to really yield fulfillment or happiness. 
And the more responsible we can get for our lives and responsible for ourselves, which part of that self-abandonment track is to rewrite that, is to come back into being responsible for myself, which can be really uncomfortable if someone's put other people. I've been responsible for everybody else's feelings but my own. And so that can take some, some time to develop, but that really is, I think, at the base of what then allows people to come back into their creative essence. Cause I love that. I love that you're so into the music and the arts and creativity. And I really believe that we all have a creative spark. That might be, you know, music, it might be dance. It might be the way that yeah. someone mothers, it might be the way that someone, you know, I don't know, like writes. It could be the way that someone makes dinner. It could be the way that someone yeah. organizes their shelves, but that creativity, which I th- is like the spark that, that gives us that feeling of satisfaction. Well, I think it's the, you know, creativity is such an amazing thing. And I love to cook and I, you know, I know people like they're, you know, athletes, they're creative in how they approach the game and how they mm-hmm. actually work out the place. And they're present, like in that moment, they could read the room and mm-hmm. they read the room and they understand what play to make, like playing chess. Yeah. So if you kind of, you read that moment and you know what to do. And I think a lot of times it's, a, it's it, I don't know, it's a connection. I always felt back to the Victorians, this idea as an artist, we, we're kind of, we channel and hmm. then we can pick up the muse. What's the idea of the muse? Oh, well, somehow there's this universal art concept that's just out there in the world. And if you're an artist, you're in tune to it and you're willing to hear it and kind of push down the negative thing, feelings you have or the things that you're scared of and actually willing to go with what the universe gives you at the moment. And part of it is all the things you've ever taught and all the practice you've done, but you're in tune to actually pick those things in life and turn it into art. You can turn melancholy into art. You can turn pain into art. You can turn happiness into art. You just take that moment or multiple moments and whether they're yours or other people's, there's an empathy, mm-hmm. there's a vulnerability, there's an ability to assess and world build and build this it's like sound painting or art painting, you know, this idea that you can actually communicate with other people with common universal notes that they can pick up on or vibrations and frequencies that people can pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of this show that we just went to this past weekend and like the shared experience that an audience has, and we're all having different experiences based on what stands out to us. Right. But the different experiences of sound and the creativity and like that is just something that like you can put that in front of so many different cultures and there's connection happening or there's so many different people in the crowd and there's a connection happening. And then there's like a shared situation that's unfolding too, um, which is so beautiful. And to your point, you know, I've, I've recalled times where like, I really use like the tough season to, and move that through movement, right? Like, and I think that that's so useful because it's such a healthy way to let life be the muse and also let life be the inspiration. So whatever, whether it's something beautiful, like you said, or something challenging, it actually has a channel and we can process it. And I think that like emotional IQ is so much about how we're able to healthfully experience our emotions and channel them, right? Like we have examples of what doing it destructively can look like and then what doing it healthfully can look like. And to your point, I think art and expression and just any kind of, I guess, embodied because you're present. So an embodied experience 
can really have on our emotional well-being. Well, I love about like, you know, if you're a public speaker or a musician, like in front of a crowd, there's like that immediate feedback. And you know, I'm a sound designer. What does that mean? I, I build my songs from the sound waves up. I take synthesizers, analogs, and keyboards and stuff. And I before I even do anything, I create the tone I'm going to use. And mm -hmm. I create it from scratch to fit the feeling of the poetry or the vision I have for the for the song. Mm -hmm. which I talk about like an idea of sound paintings, which was an idea that the Beatles had and Hendrix had. There's a lot of artists that felt like their music could be seen visually, kind of like a synesthetic moment. moment. And then when you build these sound waves in the, in the, in the tones, you kind of know how that the fans react to it. Mm -hmm. And as a musician, if you're in front of a crowd, just like a public speaker, you're speaking sound waves, you know, where you're right. so sound waves, depending on how you do it, affect people's emotions, affect their body, affect their heart, mind, soul, body, soul, affects everything. And so like, if you re realize the certain frequencies and beats and, and, and rhythmic progressions have an effect, you know, funk will make people get up and dance. Something that's melancholy will make people kind of sad, you know, like a Karen Carpenter voice mm -hmm. kind of embodies melancholy no matter what she was doing they kind of embodied melancholy the way she channeled that people would pick up on it mm -hmm. even if the lyrics were happy <laughs> yeah you still could pick up on her vibe because she's hitting that frequency yeah yeah that was the word i was just thinking about when you were talking is frequency and the frequency that we're emitting and we're all emitting a frequency at the end of the day right like whether whether we're singing or not, just our pure energy in a space is a frequency, which is really cool to know because it's it's like beyond the mind. It's actually so in the body as well. And mm -hmm. that's something that I've really that I love working with when I work with clients, which is like the embodiment of the frequency. It's like if if I in my mind say like, everything's fine. But in my body, I'm holding a stature of like, I'm very rigid and my shoulders are up and yeah, non-verbal right, like, communication, <laughs> non-verbal. And we all know this, like we actually communicate much more words are the least important part of our communication actually. So it's like our tone and our body language, um, precedes what we're actually saying. And so we're not fooling anyone, which is like kind of, it's a little bit, can be a little jarring sometimes, but it's also really beautiful because it just goes to show like, that's how we can really, again, come into connection and, and notice with ourselves, am I disconnected? Like, is my mind over here, but my body's holding a certain kind of posture. And so yeah. <laughs> how to bridge the body mind gap, which is so much of, you know, the journey that I've been on the, these many years, which is the nervous system coming into the body in like gentle ways, starting to notice our breath, starting to move the body, whether it's working out or yoga or dance and just like any kind of movement that starts to fuse body mind. So when we check in with ourselves, it's not a split, right? Mm -hmm. So the mind saying one thing and the body saying another and, you know, psychosomatics is, is something that I've love and I'm fascinated by, and there's actually a ton of research on it, which goes to show that the expressions that happen in the body, for example, symptoms are so often a manifestation of a thought pattern or an emotional experience that has not been self-realized 
and mm. understood and felt right. But just like anything else, like you're talking about frequency before emotions are energy, thoughts are energy. And if my mind is saying I'm good, but my body's holding the stature, there's an energy in there. And the more that I ignore that, and maybe I'm not consciously trying to ignore that, but you know, the more people aren't led to find the guidance back to like, well, what is happening? Why are my shoulders up? Like, what do I need? And what's held there? Then over time, the body will continue to create louder signals so that we pay attention to it and start to uncover what we've been suppressing. So it's a really intelligent response and we don't have to wait till it gets to that point. We can start to really tune into the physicality of what we're experiencing energy in our body and start to get curious, which is actually one of the ways that I sort of recommend, like if someone has that split or is in what we're framing for today is self-abandonment is start to get curious about the body and even just tune into sensation, right? Because the frequency of, of connection really comes from like knowing where I'm at first so that I can relate to another that's yeah, definitely because there's a whole concept like in, in music of like dissonance and harmony. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's like quiet and silence. Mm-hmm. And when you get to be a really good composer, you start to realize, well, everything usually starts with the silence. Like, like you usually have to turn everything off and kind of get to a quiet space and kind of let the muse come in. And then you start to realize like sometimes you the space between the notes has a lot of power. And some artists will kind of overdo it and overlay tons of layers because they're kind of like overcompensating because the peace and quiet kind of draw out technical errors or mis- or perceived mistakes. And so if you have lots of layers, you can't perceive the mistakes. Mm-hmm. But if you have more quiet, then you have to be technically on cue. You can't make a blatant error or people are going to hear it. And so this idea like the dissonance and the the harmony and the melody is like sometimes you need a little dissonance to kind of draw out the next movement, which might not be dissonant. So I like to create, you know, music kind of like classical music has movements. Mm. In today's world, songs don't get enough time to have movements. People want to finish something in two minutes. I want my songs go like nine, 11 minutes. I so love they, that. They, they have lots of movements and changes which a lot of people don't have the patience for, but I'm a child of the seventies. So I was listening to yes and Genesis and Led Zeppelin. And they had songs that had movements, they had changes. They would go yeah. from quiet to loud to quiet, to, you know, kind of just cacophony. Cough, uh, cacoph- like, that's part of the whole experience. Cause you're being, you're telling a story, mm-hmm. but you can't really tell a story if you're just totally beat focused and focused on perfect melody and perfectness, you know, and no imperfections, then you don't have a chance to kind of stretch out. Yeah. And I think some people don't give themselves enough time to stretch out. <laughs> they just want the quick hit, quick response, immediate answer. <laughs> so profound. Yes. And I just can't help but get so excited about the creative conversation and how it really relates to like emotional, mental well being too, and just well being in general. Like what you said around space, right? That space can highlight technical errors. And I think that that's so profound because it's like when we don't get space in our lives to connect with ourselves, to be present with ourselves, the technical errors can start to get, you know, they'll just start to accumulate and then greater dissonance happens. And to your point, I love that like some dissonance is actually, it's almost like contrast. Like when I know that I don't 
want this experience, when I know that this is not the direction that feels aligned for me, then I can reroute. But if I'm never taking the time and the space to just sit with myself, which can feel crazy to people nowadays because of like the pace of our songs are two minutes or like, oh my God, that's too much. But if we don't take that time over over time, the dissonance is going to start to accrue and then it's hard to be creative with it. Now it just is like one, one big like technical error in the way that needs to be addressed versus utilized and inspired from, right? So that's something that that made me think about. And I think that the song lengths and this and the lack of space between songs, I'd never thought of this until we were talking about this, but it's such a reflection of where we're at as a collective, like so much coming in so fast all the time, hard to get space and how important that is for us to be able to digest what's going on on different levels, whether it's mentally, you know, if I'm scrolling on a bunch of different apps all day, I'm not digesting the mental yeah. material. And it's like a backed up <laughs> toilet. It's like really like a toilet that's about to overflow. Yeah. No wonder we're going a little, you know, wild. And even emotionally, if I'm not, if I'm not taking care of that and it's getting like to be a backed up situation, which it is for a lot of people, that sewer is eventually going to explode. And so we, it doesn't have to get to that point, but often that's what happens because people are just like on this fast now instant thing. That's, yeah. It's yeah. just a total overload because like, you know, I, I, like I still love to go back and read my Victorian poems and read Wordsworth and Lord Byron and people today, they don't have the patience for that. Cause I was trying, I was showing this other songwriter like, that's too long. Cause I was showing them like an Epic poem. And so I can't imagine actually sitting down and reading this Epic poem for pages and pages. But that's that's the art of that time period, right? And even going back like into the music in the seventies, song lengths are way longer. There's way more movements. There's a lot more complexity. There's quiet moments. People aren't trying to be perfect. A good example like Neil Young. Neil Young can have a really awesome pitch when he wants to. He'll do a Nashville recording with a bunch of country guys, and it'll be sonically perfect. But then he'll go with Crazy Horse and be like a punk rocker. And not care if it's perfect. Mm. And he will say, you know, he called it at the time going into the ditch. And he said that he did three albums in a row and he called it the ditch trilogy, where he just went with Crazy Horse and they did this kind of punk rock in that age where people weren't doing punk. He's like 72, 73, 74. He's like, people are like, what's this? Either you're the guy from Buffalo Springfield or you're from Crosby Still Nash. Why are you not focusing on your voice and trying to make it perfect? McNeese said, well, that's not what I'm into. I want to do something that represents my emotions, which is going to be maybe second, third take, not trying to redo it and let it be what it is at that moment. And I was very entranced by that. I was like, I like that. And I still like that feeling when I'm recording. I try to capture that, that like vulnerability and realism and just honesty of that moment. Mm. I so greatly respect that. That's so, it's so cool. And it's, it's yeah, mindset. it's so real. It's a different <laughs> mindset and it's learning. It's learning to appreciate. Look, I know I can talk about self-abandonment stuff and perfectionism because it's something that I have journeyed with a lot and I still bump up against it. Um, but yeah, just, it's like the energy that gets spent on that. And like, I almost like, I do want to say wasted, um, 
wasted on that process versus like being in curious flow and creation and like authentic expression and that vulnerability that uh, is just so, it can be so enriching and awakening is so cool. So I highly respect that that's part of your process too. And that's what I find like, I went to something called ecstatic dance this past weekend and it, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's just, yeah, it's like a free flow. There's a DJ set free form. It's like a totally sober event, like phones are put away and you're just in community dropping into music and movement. And they're like, if (laughs) it is the most imperfect, it's the most (laughs) imperfect experience and the most raw and real and it's the most joyful place for me it is and the aliveness that's in that room with people making sounds or making faces or doing silly things or having deep processes like anything is happening Mm -hmm. anything goes really you know as long as we're respecting others um and respecting the space like that level of play and childlike nature and to see a room full of adults doing that it's kind of a childlike freedom before you were told how to behave. Yes. And the, they, they, like the whole thing with a lot of artists, I like find people, like, you guys are immature. See, why I'm immature because I choose to do something original, not unexpected, unpredictable, you know, less controlled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's immature because like immature is to sit in the cubicle and do the same thing nine to five every day. And 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 the, the artist is gonna maybe do something that you know, well, I don't expect that I didn't I didn't really see that I don't understand well that's the nature of like art of of, of that child like abandon that you can actually nobody told you you can't do it like the idea when uh, you know Orson Welles was doing Citizen Kane he's like people came to me and he t- he has a story where the people were saying well how do you come up with these shots and the direction so I didn't know what I couldn't do. I just thought I could lose my eyes and whatever whatever I could see the camera could do. So why not? Nobody told me like there were rules and I couldn't do this. And I could I just did what I thought was possible. And nobody told me what what was impossible. So I just did it. It's like that kind of that kind of abandoned people were like, oh, you can't do that. Because that's what you know, people in the canon will tell you mm-hmm. that you gotta do it like A, B, C, D, you can't you gotta do it that way. Yeah. And the idea that you can break out of that just because why not? <laughs> people people don't believe in themselves you know a lot of times it's like you got to have that belief mm-hmm. that you can actually do your art or you can actually speak that statement instead of being the person that doesn't raise your hand doesn't say anything and just letting everybody else talk and then you don't talk yeah yeah uh i love the question why not and also it makes me think of why not me you know as a question to ask and um Gosh, you said one other thing that was really, oh, I I once heard there's a difference between, I don't remember who said this, but um, there's a difference between childish and childlike. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the difference between like, do we mean, (laughs) do we mean childlike from the perspective, (laughs) right? Or, and childish is totally different. Like we could see that as immature, right? It's kind of like, there's certain things that we want to be able to access and grow into and develop into, but childlike is like innocence and it's curiosity to me, it's playfulness, Mm -hmm. it's fun, it's curiosity. And I love that what you said, it's kind of, it is the opposite of self-abandonment. It's actually 
having abandon within oneself, which is like totally being in oneself in the moment and owning that and being present to life. And uh, yeah, I think that the just any creative venture is so helpful to tap into that quality. It's like the art therapy. Like I've talked to so mm-hmm. many therapists that say, you take somebody in the field that can't be creative and you get them to like paint, even though they, they say, well, I can't paint. You get them into do it, you just do it. Just come up with something. Don't have any expectations. Just do it to try to feel it out. Yeah. Or, you know, somebody in the, you take different types of art forms and you use it as therapy. Whether you're banging on a piano, you don't really know how to do it, but you're given the permission to touch the piano. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I got into playing piano. I was like, I was able, so I gave myself permission because I bought one. I didn't know how to play it. I said, well, if I own it, then I won't, somebody won't tell me I can't touch it. And then I'll actually <laughs> go and experiment with it because now I own it. So I'll, I'll, then nobody can tell me I can't use it. And that's what happens yeah. with a lot of musicians is they get their instrument and say, well, you don't know, learn it because they, they get so passionate about it and they want to have their own. So somebody doesn't tell them to go away and they can't use it. They go and they learn it because they, now they, they, if they own it, nobody can tell them they can't touch it. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool, everything that we can pick up. And that's so cool that you did that. My brother did a similar thing with a guitar. You know, like he never had formal lessons, but he just started being curious about it, picked one up and started going into that process of learning little by little. And he's gotten really good over time. And, you know, there's that necessity to be willing to mess it up. I was going to curse, but I don't know what the logistics are on that. Yeah. that's part of it. That's the accident. That's the accident. I mean, that's you don't win by by winning every game. You yeah. you is a lesson learned. You know, every athlete knows they don't win every challenge. You know, they they got they practice, and there are things that you mess up. And every musician, mm-hmm. you learned how to deal with your instrument. You learned how to understand it and get in tune with it, and then learn how how it works and then how you work. And then your 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 take on it and your take on it, everybody's individual take as a musician is their own stamp on the on the form. And that's where a lot of people don't understand. It's like it's actually okay to, you know, have somebody that doesn't know piano play piano and sing that song because then it's gonna be uniquely them. And a lot of people have figured this out that they'll go and take an, an instrument that they don't really know and do something on it, like a bass player go to the guitar or a piano player go to the guitar and a guitar player go to the piano because the result is usually something very different because it's a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that perspective is very enlightening. It's something that a piano player would have never done or the bass player would have never done. And it's like, that's how you move forward is not just being a virtuoso, but being willing to challenge yourself. Yeah. And there's something you're not fully comfortable with, which I think is kind of like the process of life. Like that's the way things are going to be till you're not here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just getting really honest about that and like confronting that I think can make the process maybe gentler. Like it's, it's not meant to be done perfectly and super like well. And part of the self discovery is being willing to discover ourselves in something new. And what you just spoke to is a perfect example of the show I mentioned earlier that we went to this past weekend, which was every member of the band, they like rotated throughout the show and they each played 
the instrument. Like it was incredible to see them switch from guitar to the bass to um, there's this like frequency machine. It's like called the Moog or something. I, I'll have yeah, to. Moog, yeah, yeah, Moog. Moog yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, cool and it's so cool. And uh, there was one, of you know, like drums, guitar, bass, and all these other instruments and they were rotating. And I was like, wow, that is so impressive and so inspiring to see like that level of genius come on. And what is genius? Like in that moment for me, what that meant was just the ability to be so well-versed in various forms of expression and with various instruments, which must mean that they had to go through like a massive process of like it sounding awful or making mistakes yeah. or it was clunky. But we get through that to then like get to the ability to be able to do that so well. And that was just, it was really inspiring to, to just consider the process that each one of those artists would have gone through to be able to achieve that. And as a band too, you know? Well, I think in life you have to look at things as like, you know, there are problems we get and do you just use the same solution or do you yeah. come at it from different angles? Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of times people just want to use the same algorithm or the same formula because, oh, that's the only thing that can work. And then, you know, what happens in science, we find there are theorems that get broken. There are new things that it finds like, oh, that isn't actually true anymore mm -hmm. because you keep on pushing it. And then you keep on like trying to like prove or disprove. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of people, like you said, they like the predictability, but on the bleeding edge of, of, of innovation, there's all these people who are kind of in the new frontier. And the people who go into that new frontier, they sometimes, you know, there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of criticism of the person that doesn't do it the way that everybody's always done it. But that, you know, then everybody says, oh, wow. You know, now you have, have something new because the person is willing to do that. And so I think people in their lives, they have a lot of things they, they, they could do. And are you going to regret the things that you didn't try because you were scared? <laughs> you know, not that everything you're scared of is, 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 is good. You know, it's, it's, there's a good reason why you're scared because your body's trying to protect you. But there's some things that are like, it's, that's the wolf at the door and there's real no consequence other than like, you've got an irrational fear. But yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think that, you know, much more often, especially if we're talking about, you know, I'm based in the US, I think you are too, like for the most part, when we have access to certain things in our life, most of the fears are the wolf at the door. The ones that are really about survival, we know, and that's amazing to know. And so it's just good to question, uh, be able to be willing to ask the question, like, what am I, what are the stories I'm telling myself? Because the story I'm telling myself is likely creating the fear. And is it based on something true? Is it actually true? Do I actually know for sure that it's true? And how would I show up and who would I be if I created a different narrative? And if we can see that there's a new narrative that would come online, well, then it's probably that the fear is the illusion and that there's a possibility for us to walk through that door and realize like everything's all good. There's actually opportunity here. If I'm willing to at least digest the fear. Well, I think it's, we've been talking about like, they got to have self-discovery. You got to be yeah. brave enough to go into the looking glass and see all the refractions mm -hmm. and understand that, you know, beauty is in the refractions is in the things that aren't perfect. And all the things you're down on are probably your strengths. You know, and that's what the people, you know, that discover, you know, they say, well, how did that person get the, 
get the arrogance to jump on stage. It's like, well, because they looked at that refracted look, looking glass and they saw something cool in themselves and they kind of doubled down on it. And then they did this, were able to own it. And it's the law of attraction. Like if you're down on yourself, then that negativity is going to probably lead to certain things within your body, mind, soul, spirit. They're going to lead you down a path. If you're up on things and you're in that kind of uh, moment where you're you're drawing all this positivity, then good things seem to happen. So why are these good things happening? Because they're in that place. And there's yeah. the kind of sweet spot that it's not foo-foo. It's kind of, it, it's real. But, you know, if you think it's foo-foo, then you're probably not going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've already discounted it. Yeah. What a great place to like really sort of like bring that to, which is the self-discovering also the choosing what we're focusing on and like, again, back to frequency because that's creating a state within us and the state in which we're in is what's going to inspire our thoughts, whether those are creative thoughts or reactive slash destructive thoughts. So, um, I love something that, uh, I, I bring to some of my clients, which is that, reactive and creative are actually the same letters. They involve the same letters. It's just the organization of them. <laughs> so when we can see something differently, we can be creative versus reactive. And so it's just good to, it's a nice little barometer. Like, am I being reactive or is there potential for me to be creative here? Yeah, that's, that's how I, you know, I live my life with my bedroom studio in front of me and, you know, doing these live podcasts that I feel like are master classes. And mm. we're kind of at the close because I do have another one. I could yeah. talk for another hour. But <laughs> this is really uh, why we do the podcast is that we can have these open discussions that are longer than 15 minutes where we yeah. can get into something that people, you know, don't get a chance to, to you know, talk about or don't get to hear uh, somebody uh, explain these concepts. So, again, to further uh, dive into this uh, with the clicking on your link of, mariamacase.com and that will be fully clickable. You can click on that full link and it'll get there. Maybe tell the folks what they find there. Um, yeah. On that. Yeah. So if you click that link specifically that's here, that will be a gifted free 30 minute like drop in with me, which is connected to body based coaching. So it's going to be a lot of the principles that we talked about today to get in touch bridge the mind body gap to overcome a major block that someone's facing. And so we can do that in as little as 30 minutes, which is really exciting. So that's totally free and a gift. And then if you're on there too, you can poke around my website or um, find me on Instagram and we can connect there. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show. You know, sometimes um, we, we have people come back on again and uh, just in the future, if you ever wanted to do that and address other issues or have a book to push or a program to push, we're into that. You can check us out on our calendar, you know, invite. You can figure out if in the future you want to do that. Thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it so much. This was such an enlightening conversation. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much.